Welcome to our Skyview Community Church of the Nazarene podcast. At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 33, and I'm going to read from verse 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, you could also follow along in the little insert in the bulletin that says Sermon Notes. And this is what the Word of God says, Exodus 33, reading from verse 12 through to 23. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless You go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may, want, where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. and Thanks be to God. From the beginning of Moses' calling, presence was important. For many of us, we will recall that when he encounters God or God encounters Moses, the very first words that comes from this divine burning bush encounter is Moses, Moses. From the moment that Moses is called, there is an awareness that is brought to us that God knows the man whom he is calling. God knows Moses well enough to know his history, to know his past, to know his journey. And for many of us who know Moses' history, we know that he came out of Egypt fleeing for his life. He murdered somebody, he was once in a palace, now he is a shepherd. And God calls this man, who in many ways may not be the best or the most qualified. God calls him by name, and immediately Moses is resistant. He's hesitant. He's hesitant because he knows himself as well. He's hesitant because he fears that he may not be able to do that which God is calling him to do. 
I don't know if you've ever had hesitation in your own life to respond to something, maybe a task or something that you haven't done before, something that you've been asked to do that that would stretch you. But here in Moses' life, from the beginning, there was a resistance to what God was calling him to. You know, I do not think that doing what God wants us to do comes easy to any of us. And I think sometimes it's possible that we assume it's easier for some than others. But whenever God calls men and women out of their comfort zone towards his promises and his purposes, it requires a lot from us. And for those of us who respond obediently, we recognize our own shortcomings in doing what God has called us to. But God responds to Moses and he says to him, listen, uh, you know, the, the way that Pharaoh will know and the way that the people will know that I am with you is that I will bring you up out of the slavery and at this mountain you will worship and that will be a sign that I am with you. From the beginning of Moses' encounter, the presence of God becomes a vital component to his success, not only as a leader, but for the sake of the nation. Presence makes all the difference in Moses' life. He understands that without God, his plans would fail. Without God, he will not succeed. Without God, he cannot do this incredible thing that God has called him to do. In his DNA, from the beginning of his calling, it is imprinted within him that the presence of God is essential to his life. The presence, the glory, the majesty... This awesome, infinite God makes himself available to a man who resists at all costs to do that which God has called him to. Presence plays. Can you just say amen very quickly? Are you still with me? Presence plays a crucial role in our text this morning. We find that the people have sinned. Some of you know the story well. God calls the same Moses who was resistant to lead the people out of Egypt. He leads them out of Egypt. It's a dramatic story. Charlton Heston showed us all the drama of it. Was Is that right? Was Charlton Heston in that? He showed us all the drama of all that and tried to give us a picture for what happened. All we know, it was it was monumental. It was epic. It was, you know, if you were to go and see it on a screen, you know, it, it has that grandeur of an epic movie, you know. And Moses leads them out, and, and as he leads them out, God leads the people, and God calls Moses up to this mountain, this mountain that he said he would call him out to again to remind him that he is with him. And it's when Moses ascends the mountain, when his presence goes to the presence of God, that the people in the apparent vacuum of the absence of a spiritual leader who represents the spiritual presence fathoms and creates for themselves a God out of their gold. If presence is essential to Moses in his life, then absence in this particular text reveals much about the people of God. When people perceive that God is not present, they may be drawn to fathom or to fashion and create in 
their own image a God that is more accessible and tangible. I, I thought to myself about this and I thought what motivated to them to, to actually do what they did. Because you know what they did? They, they, they said to Aaron, listen, Moses, this guy, and they, they almost speak of him as if they don't know him. They said he ascended up on this mountain. We don't know when he'll come back. We, we don't know when he will return. What we need is we need a God that will lead us. And you know what Aaron does? It was the mouthpiece of Moses. He says to them, give me all your earrings from your men and your women. If you want to look for a justifiable reason for men to wear earrings as well, it's right there in Exodus. It says, give, give me all your gold from your ears. And they create this golden calf. And they put a face on the apparent facelessness of God. They create a fake presence in the absence of spiritual leaders. And I have to say to you, I think that therein is an incredible important challenge for all of us. In the apparent absence of the presence of God, humanity will create in their own image a God to fill their own vacuum. When? We walk this journey of faith. There will be times in which we do not feel the presence of God. There will be times in which we feel that God is absent, withdrawn. I say this with confidence because when you survey the, the, the scriptures, you will find that it happens to not just a few people, but to many people who desire to know God. There are moments when his absence feels, uh, leaves us feeling that, that there's an emptiness that needs to be filled. I don't know if you see this, but I think... In all of us, there is the potential to replace God with lesser gods in an effort to make it through. Some of the gods of our day um, is things like materialism. But some of the gods of our day may also be uh, the kinds of things that we put vested interest in that starts to become more important than the primacy of God in our lives. I have to say to you that one of the most blessed things that someone said to me in my maturing faith is they said, Stu, I will be with you as a friend and I will stay with you as a friend long enough to see your shadow. I've said this to you before and what my rather figurative metaphoric friend was implying was that I am with you throughout it all, my friend. I am committed to this friendship and I have to say to you, my friends, that it is only that kind of commitment that stands the test of time in all of our lives when it feels like God is not there. He can be trusted. Men may disappoint. In fact, the scripture teaches us that Aaron, who became the mouthpiece for Moses, because Moses said, I don't speak that well. And God allowed him to bring Aaron alongside him to speak on his behalf, kind of like an interpreter, you know, a one that would, would channel the thoughts of Moses, who channels the thoughts of God. 
And in this particular text, Aaron is the one who bends to the will of the people and gives them what they want. It is the very reason I think that Moses says, who will you send with me? Because he's not panning out. I need another person. I need another. You know, God, if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to go where you want us to go, I'm going to need a lot more dependability next to me. I'm going to need a strong leader who's going to not do what the people want them to do because sometimes what the people want a leader to do is not what the leader ought to do. And he says, who will you send? In the apparent absence of God's presence, which the spiritual leader represents, People will create gods, lesser gods, to fill the vacuum. But if I may add to that thought, I would suggest to you that where God is apparently absent, certain realities are no longer possible. Uh, I was reading uh, around this particular text and I, I read a comment made by a gentleman named George Steiner who argues that where God is not present, certain kinds of literature, just listen with me for a second, and art become impossible to create. You see, where God's absent, where God is not present, the, the, the certain realities no longer are possible because they are only possible because of God's presence. In this particular scripture, there is a crisis of presence. The crisis comes because the people have been disobedient. And God says, he says to Moses, he says, I'm not going to go with you any longer. I will send an angel, an avatar, if you will, of my presence. I'm going to send a lesser presence with you because you don't seem to want this presence. You don't seem to live into the reality of this relationship with us. And you know what is at stake here in the scripture? Is that all that God has promised his people, they are living in such a way as to forego those promises and those realities. The reality was that God would create them and make them a people and give them a place, a land that would be their own. And they ran the real risk of throwing it away. There are certain things that we risk when we are disobedient. There are certain things that we risk when we allow other things to become the centerpiece, the, 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 the thing to which we live, uh, uh, that which subjugates or removes God from the, the central place that he has to have in our life. There are certain realities which will no longer be possible. You know what is hard about this text? Is that 3,000 men die because of this calf worship. And you know, we gloss over that because we don't like to talk about that. But the reality is, when we create lesser gods, there is consequences to that that the nation had to live with. In fact, God said, this. He says, I will bring punishment on those who are disobedient. I will. And people are affected. Lives are changed. I think that one of the things that I love about our Christian faith is that we believe that God is present everywhere with us in all circumstances of life. But we don't often give him the necessary respect to realize that when we diminish that presence in, in disobedience to him, that there are consequences that fall upon our lives and upon our families. There are things that we lose. Certain realities no longer are possible. 
Listen, God's in the redemption business. He can redeem and, and make things work and, and bring life out of what seems to be death. But there are certain things which sin will always destroy and take away from us. Some of us may never know what those things are because it has been removed because God has not been central. I uh, have thought about this very personally, of course, and thought about my own life, and it is hard to think about the things that I may have lost because of my own disobedience. Uh, I think about the ways in which my life could have been different. And, and i got to tell you, when you start to think that way, it's awfully complex. It's awfully hard because you just don't know. Sometimes I will meet somebody, you know, and, 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 and I think it's okay to say, can I say this? It's about an ex-girlfriend. Is that okay? If you say no, it makes you look real bad. So, yeah. <laughs> Or insecure. Uh, but you're, ne- you're neither that. Uh, but I remember uh, seeing this, uh, you know, uh, I met this girl and, 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 and I was, you know, just a young guy. And I, I mean, I liked this girl, you know, liked her, not loved her. You know, I really liked her. <laughs> And it was the time when denim jeans was in, you know. Uh, well, let me, let me clarify. In South Africa, we went to phases of denim jeans, you know, like the washed out kind of look and the fade and all this. Thing. But this was the era of the denim jacket. Was that ever an era here? The denim jacket. And the silver studded jackets. <laughs> I invested in a denim jacket. And I bought the silver studs. And I put her name on my back. <laughs> you want to know how serious you, 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 you want to know how serious this relationship was? I mean, I had her name on my back. I will never forget the day that I found out that <laughs> she was dating someone else. Uh, if anyone has been dubbed, you know that you can only laugh about, uh, over that, you know, years after it's happened. <laughs> but I remember also hearing uh, the direction that her life took. And um, I remember thinking to myself that, you know, God's grace has been prevalent in my own life. There are certain things which I think we sacrifice constantly when we do not have God as the primary. And I hope you understand my illustration because I'm so glad God, God brought me to Ruthann. There are certain realities when he is not the object of our worship, certain things that are no longer possible, certain dreams that cannot be fulfilled. And maybe I want to say this to young people in particular. I, I want to say to you, that when we, when, we, when we speak about our futures and we speak from a Christian perspective that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, it is absolutely true. A purpose that is profoundly beyond even some of our anticipations or yearnings. A purpose that, that, that brings a clarity to our lives and a, and a certainty to our faith. And there are decisions that we ought to make daily to remember that His presence and the worship of the true and living God should be the central part of our lives. I want to ask if you would be honest today 
Are you guilty of fashioning and creating a substitute for the apparent absence of God within your life? But not only is there a crisis of God's presence in the text, but Moses reveals the necessity of God's presence, not only in his leadership and his life, but for the sake of the people. It is interesting that if you study the scripture, you will find this, that, God's, that Moses says this. He says, if you don't go with us, how will anybody be able to distinguish who we are from everyone else? You know what is said in that? Uh, you know, this is, what, this is what Moses is literally saying. You know, we are not a peculiar or special people because we are unique and we have special gifts and abilities and we can create golden statues out of gold. We are not a special people because we have crossed through the sea. We are not a special people for any other reason. The reason we are special is because your presence makes us special. In fact, if I could say this to you about our Christian community, because I think about us as a church all the time, I, I, there's a part of me that loves the unique nature of our community. The, the fact that maybe in some selfish ways, I like that we maybe not like some other community. I'm being confessional. In fact, some of us here know what that feels like. We're young enough where we go, I don't quite want to be like everybody else. I want to be special. I want to be unique. I want to be different. Listen, you have to understand that from our, our leadership right down to, to, to all our program leaders, we are not in the business of being unique for the sake of being catchy. We recognize that our unique identity comes out of the divine presence of God in our midst. In fact, what distinguishes from others has got very little to do with how well we live our lives. I've I got to just be honest with you. Some of us feel that somehow as Christians there's a superior, superiority to who we are. Listen, you know what, what Moses is saying? He's saying the only thing that marks the people of God and defines them as distinct is God's presence. The only thing that makes a difference is God's presence. The only thing that sets us apart is God's presence. That is why corporate worship is essential. Are you with me? Can you say amen? You know, if you're disagreeing with me, that's why we're starting this midweek thing, so that you can come and duke it out with me on midweek. You know, we can talk about the Word of God. But I want to say this to you again, so maybe it sinks in and challenges you in, in, in a way that you have not been challenged before. The reason we worship like this is because we say, as an affirmation of our faith, that the presence of God is what makes all the difference to us. Not just the perceived presence. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says that Moses met with God in a tent that he set up outside the camp. And it says this, when God, when Moses met with God, the pillar of cloud came to the entrance of the tent. And it uses this very intimate language. It says that God met with Moses uh, face to face like a man speaks to his friend. In, 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 this, in this experience, uh, the, the, the scripture teaches us that the people, uh, the nation, stood at a distance, each at, the own, at their own tent entrance, and they looked upon the encounter that Moses was having with God. You know, it's interesting that in the first few verses of our passage, all that Moses says consistently over and over is, I want to know your ways. I want to know you more. Show me your glory. If there's ever a truth that comes out of this, it is this, that Moses had this incredible personal encounter in the burning bush. He had this incredible divine illumination in, in, the, in, in, in the tent where God appeared to him and described as almost meeting with him face to face like a friend speaks to one another, and yet Moses has the boldness 
to ask for more of God. You know, people who ask for more of God and believe God will show them more are people who spend time in the divine presence. They know Him. That is why they can ask of Him. They, they pursue Him because they've been in His presence. They know Him and yet they know they don't know all of them. And their life is bent towards that purpose and that cause that they want to know God more. You know, which direction... Is our lives pointed? Which direction are we facing? What knowledge are we desiring? We could be like the people who stand and perceive a presence from a distance. Or we could, in the intimacy of spending time in the presence of God, develop a robust faith. And start to pray prayers, asking that of God, which God only gives to those who know Him. Show me your glory. The word glory itself is a word that reveals the unique otherness of God. The glory is revealed through a cloud. The glory is revealed in a burning bush. The glory is revealed in so many different ways. And Moses has the audacity to ask more of what he's already received. He, he wants even a greater revelation. Now, I don't know if, if, if my illustrations work for those who don't have kids, but kids know how to pray, at least towards their parents, who is the provider. They know how to ask the way that Moses asks. You know, they will ask for one thing, and then they'll come back for more, and they will come back for more. And there's something about the persistence in their voice that declares that kids know something intuitively about their parents. You know, the, what they know about their parents is not the same thing that Moses knows about God, but what they know about me is, if I, if I bug him long enough, he'll give in, you know. Why? Because he loves me. But you see, there's something about Moses' persistence that reveals to us he knows something about God. You know, he says to God several times, he says, he says, God, you know, the reason you should not annihilate and destroy and burn up these people is because they are your people. You know, when, when I read that, I thought to myself, it's interesting because in the previous chapter, you know what, 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 uh, what, what, what uh, God does? God says after they made the calf, he says... Moses, these are your people. You know, parenting just comes up all the time. You know, this, many times Ruthann turns to me when our kids do something maybe not as admirable, uh, and, and she says, go and talk to your children. Seeks to create that distance and accountability, <laughs> that personal responsibility for their actions. You know, Moses does. Moses says, before he says, show me your glory, he says, these are your people. And then he claims, you know, he just says, God, show me your glory. And God responds. He's merciful. He's gracious. He responds. He says, you will see my goodness pass before you. You will hear the name of the Lord proclaimed. He says, but I will be gracious to whom I'm gracious. I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But my face you cannot see. At least you cannot see it and live. So there's a, a crisis of presence. There's a necessity for the presence of God. And finally, 
There's the glory of presence. And this glory reveals something about the nature of God. God listens to the pleas of a man who desires to live in righteousness. God responds and shows him, albeit not everything. In fact, you know, the the little research I did around this idea of glory revealed a few things, is that what Moses was asking, he was asking for an intimacy that he had not yet seen. He was asking for a revelation of God that he had not yet experienced. And God says, here's what I will show you. I will show you my goodness, my mercy, my grace. And I will hide you in a rock and pass by. And I will take my hand away so that you can just look long enough to see that the desire the people had to see a God who would go before them would be met in this moment when you look at my back. I am the God who will go ahead of you. Yet... um, There's echoes of Paul's words in which he says, in this life we see dimly and one day we will see fully. And there's a sense in which as much as I want the presence and the revealed glory of God that I realize God reveals only that which I can handle. And if we were to be honest in our Christian lives, you know, there's very few of us that can lay claim to this divine, miraculous certainty of seeing God face to face. But what we are given is more akin to what Moses is given. It is a presence that is moving and a presence that beckons us to follow. Show me your glory. Show me your ways. That I may know you. This morning, I invite us to uh, contemplate and think upon our own lives. Think upon the uh, reality of the example from Scripture this morning and ask the questions that God brings to your heart in life. His presence makes all the difference. It It is what should set us apart as a church and as a community of faith. But we are set apart when individually we experience his presence. Um, What does that look like? What does that look like in your day-to-day life? I think there are some spiritual disciplines that help us. Time spent in the word. Intentional times of ceasing from doing. For we do not live by what we provide for ourselves alone, but from the word of God. There are times of committing ourselves towards the study of God's word. There are times in which we just come before him in silence. I wish I had an exhaustive list of how we could experience his presence more. But for each one of us, the invitation is quite clear. Draw near to him. For when we do not, we run the risk of worshipping other gods. In this year ahead for us as a church, I have decided as the pastor, along with the council of some of our board and leaders, 
that maybe one of the most important things we can focus on is not trying to, uh, to, to, to change the world first, but allowing God to change us. I believe more and more that sometimes we place value on that which we can measure, that which we can count. And I want to say to you as a congregation today, the point of our church is not to grow so that everybody can see how big and wonderful we are, but it is to grow through an attentiveness to the Spirit of God, that God would so fill individuals in our church, so start to shape us with a God awareness and dependence, that it moves us in ways that only God can do. It is with that reason and for that purpose that I challenge you to find a place of learning around the Word of God. Uh, We're creating opportunities for you to enter in. It doesn't work for everybody, but you have to take the responsibility for your own spiritual formation and growth. God wants to do things in us first. wants to implant within us an appetite for his ways and his will. And I invite you to join us. There's opportunities for you to do that through the prayer times we have. You don't always have to join a program to pray. You can pray in your own time, but there's something about corporate prayer. There are some small groups. Some of you have expressed interest. I pray that you take that seriously. And this year, don't try to fit God into an agenda, but allow him to reshape agendas. Aligning our lives with the priority of who he is.